Welcome to Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture, a podcast from Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. I'm your host, Scott Ray, Dean of Faculty and Professor of Christian Ethics. And I'm your co-host, Sean McDowell, Professor of Apologetics. We're here with one of our faculty colleagues today, Dr. Kyle Strobel, who has co-authored with his colleague, Dr. John Coe, uh, from Talbot's Institute for Spiritual Formation, a super enlightening new book on prayer. Uh, and, uh, you know, you might be thinking as our listeners, what else can be said about prayer that hasn't already been said? Well, I assure you, Kyle and John have said some new things that I've never thought about related to prayer. And at least particularly the first half of the book was, in, in my view, it was a rock your world type of reading uh, about prayer. And it's super helpful stuff. Kyle, welcome. So glad you can be with us. Uh, we're so glad that the book has come out uh, and that our listeners get access to uh, this conversation. And then hopefully they'll pick up the book uh, and delve much more deeply into it. Thanks, Scott and Sean. It's good to be here with you guys. So tell us, first of all, I guess maybe the, the first question I want to get at is why, why is why is prayer such a hard topic hmm. for most believers to deal with? It's, it's sort of like the elephant in the living room that we, <laughs> we, we wish would go away, uh, but you know we just have a hard time facing up to that. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons for it, but, but one clear one, I think, is that I think most people kind of presuppose prayer should be easy. And maybe we've met people who prayer just seems to come easy for them, right? <laughs> These people who just, they, they just seem to pray. And, and, you know, for John and I, we are very clear in the book that, you know, that that's not us. <laughs> Prayers never just come easy for us. And, but I also think that the, the most Christians, they pray, but if they think about prayer or if prayer comes up, it's almost always a guilty feeling. <sighs> I should really pray more. Yeah, I pray, you know, at bedtime, or I pray before meals, or I pray with my kids. But man, I should—I I really should be praying more. And we, and so we only really talk about it when we feel bad about ourselves for not praying better or for not praying more or something. And and unfortunately, what I have found is that when when people try to instruct me in prayer, or people try to encourage me to pray, it often is presented as this ideal circumstance. And then I actually pray and my mind wanders, I fall asleep, I you know, just realize I've been planning out my week for the last 10 minutes and <laughs> no one was speaking into that. Like no one was actually helping me understand one, what's going on, but two, like why, you know, what do I do about this? How do I navigate what prayer actually is like? And unfortunately, I think we're rarely honest with what prayer is actually like. Um, and we, we we present the ideal, and it just makes us feel guilty, and so we stop reading books on prayer, and we just try our hardest to you know do enough. You gave us perhaps the most natural segue. Now I have to ask a question. Okay, then what is <laughs> prayer actually like? Because that's mm. clearly something that we're missing. Yeah, well, you know, one of the things that strikes me when you when you read about Jesus in the Gospels is that when whenever Jesus. Was, was in contact with people, they kind of came out of themselves. And so, you know, you find Peter who just kind of collapses before him, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Or you have the disciples who debate which of them is the greatest. Or John and James who ask Jesus if he wants, you know, Jesus, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to consume the Samaritans? You know, after all your love enemy stuff, should we just start killing people now? You know, and people just <laughs> kind of come out of themselves. 
And, and so the problem is what I think we've all experienced in prayer is we've experienced that, but we've interpreted it as, as I'm bad at praying. And then we apologize to God. I'll try harder. I'll try not to do that anymore. And I think if we just remember that where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. That what happens when you draw near to God's presence is he shows you where your treasures are. And he's not surprised at what they are. <laughs> so if you realize your treasure is the Lakers game, or if you realize that your treasure is, is your work or controlling your week, which is why you're thinking about your calendar while you're, instead of praying, or then you need to bring those before God and say, God, look at this. Look at where, look at what I'm longing for. And I think what the Lord's doing in that is he's opening us up to actually pray about what we care about. Um, we quote, there's a, there's a great book, book we quote um, by Herbert McCabe, who talks about how um, the reason why people's mind wanders in prayer is because they, they're not actually praying for what they, they do want. They're, they're praying for what they think they should want. <laughs> and so huh. Herbert McCabe talks about how we, we, we learn as children how to pray cleaned up Christian prayers. And he says, you know, when, you're, when the Titanic's sinking and you're on board, you're, you're, hot, you're not having a problem with your mind wandering. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or my children, when they're asking me what they want for, what, or they're telling me, I should say, what they want for Christmas, they're not having a hard time with their mind wandering. It's when we come to pray and instead of giving to the Lord what we really want, instead of wrestling through the deep realities and questions of our lives, if we try, if we're trying hard to be good religious people in prayer, then yeah, prayer will be a time when, when we, when we kind of leave bewildered, our mind wanders the whole time. We we realize that actually we spent more time maybe talking to ourselves than God. And, and I think what the Lord's doing is he's inviting us into the truth, just as Jesus did with his disciples continually. And he, he isn't afraid of the truth because he died for us in our sins and not in our goodness. So he's not afraid of them now. <laughs> and he's calling us to open up. What do you really want? And not merely send our avatars to pray. Like, that's the image I like to think. I, I think many of us have learned somewhere along the lines that what God really wants is for us to send our avatars to pray. And so we have these Christian avatars that look really nice, that look really good, that know all sorts of Bible verses. And we, we send them in prayer, hoping that the Lord will be really impressed. And, and God doesn't want that because it's not real. <laughs> he wants to meet us in reality. And so it, we shouldn't be surprised when prayer is bewildering because it will invite us into our sin. It will invite us into our brokenness um, because that's wrapped up in our desires. Yeah, that's, I mean, that was my first reaction is what if I don't want to admit or don't want to face that those are the things I really long for? <laughs> yeah. I just don't, I just don't want to admit that. Yeah. Well, then you're going to have a really hard time with Jesus. <laughs> you know, well, this is where Jesus um, because there's a real sense where none of us want to admit that, of course. But it reminds me, so I was reading my my children. I have, I have a little one still. And so I, I was reading my seven and um, I have seven and 10 year olds, so not, not as little as they used to be. But I was, I'm reading them the Gospel of Mark right now. And we got to the part where Jesus curses the fig tree and then goes in the temple and starts flipping over tables and dumping money on the ground. And my son kind of looks at me and he, you can tell you know, something's going on in his little mind. And he goes, Daddy, that wasn't very nice. And I said, Yeah, God doesn't have the attribute of niceness. <laughs> like that's 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 not something true of God, actually. And if you just pay attention to Jesus, Jesus 
is incredibly uncomfortable to be around because he's constantly calling out what is really going on. So the woman at the well, she wants to have a debate about theology and Jesus wants to talk about her adultery. Peter wants to talk about what the king should be like and Jesus calls him Satan to his face and tells him to stop setting his mind on the things of man. You know, he Jesus constantly is breaking open the heart and he wants us to see and know the truth. I think of, you know, in the Exodus, which the Exodus is such a fundamental account in scripture. It, in many ways, the whole Christian life is mapped onto the Exodus. But by the time you get to the New Testament, the Exodus is kind of the paradigm for these things. And in the Exodus account, God leads people out of Egypt miraculously and profoundly. And then he marches them for three days without food and water. <laughs> and unsurprisingly, people grumble and they're going, Lord, wait, wait a second. <laughs> what are you doing? And then he marches them in the wilderness. And in Deuteronomy 8, 2, we're told the reason he does this is to show them what is in their hearts. And, you know, I, I think many of us, we're not, we're not fully on board with that. And I'm not sure we've been, been shepherded into that well. I, I think we're, we tend to be shepherded into kind of God wants us in our goodness or God wants us to be growing or God wants us. But God only works in reality. And so God wants us to, yes, grow and to, yes, but he wants us to grow from where we actually are, which means we have to attend to where we are. And the difficulty that I find in prayer, and John shares this as well in the book, but what we found is that we would experience some of these things. So Scott, to your point, like I'd realize I really, I don't want to talk about this in prayer, or I'd realize that I don't want to pray right now. Like there's other things I'd rather be doing than prayer right now. Well, the th what I would do in that moment is I would turn to myself and to try to give myself a pep talk. Yeah, I used to be a coach. So it was like, it's like I was a coach again and I was trying to get my high school boys on the right page. Like, okay, guys, you got to dig deep. But it never occurred to me that I should tell God that. And so while I'm giving myself a pep talk, I have this fantasy that God's not there listening first, which is weird. But then I think that God somehow doesn't know this about me. And that what God wants me to do is get my act together. And I think what we need to discover is that God needs us and God is calling us to say, God, look at this. I don't even want to pray right now. And of course, we have to pray with that. Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. And Lord, not my will, but yours be done. But we need to name the truth. And what we'll discover, I think, is that prayer actually kind of comes alive when we begin to name the truth of our lives, because those are the things where we really struggle with. Those are the deeper questions of our souls and the deepest desires we have are found wrapped up in those sorts of things. So Kyle, is this what, you, what you're suggesting that uh, we, you made reference to when our minds wander? Mm -hmm. uh, you call that a gift? Yeah. Is, is that the reason? Yeah, because God is showing you where your treasures are. He's allowing the kind of compass of your heart to go to its true north. And we need to see, wow, God, I, I actually, in your presence, I turn to these things rather than you. So you're actually suggesting that God's presence is not something we necessarily long for? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you, no, you, and this you, is... Yeah, you need to spell that out a little bit further. Yeah. Well, you know, this is where the this is where our flesh, you know, the flesh 
rejects God's presence. And you see this with Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve, there's a reason they don't say, thank the Lord, he's here, he'll know what to do after they sin. They say, run, hide. (laughs) Um, And this is what happens in our flesh. You know, in our flesh, we try to draw near. And what we realize is the flesh is awoken and we don't want to be seen. We want to be seen in our goodness. We want to be seen in our ability. We want to be seen in our savvy. Uh, many of us want to control God. You know, the problem with the presence of God is we, like Job, we end up standing before the whirlwind and it becomes very clear, I can't get my hooks in this God. And I think, you know, I've noticed in my own prayer life over the years, I, I remember I was praying once and I had, um, and as you guys know, I like to write and I write a lot. And I realized that I, I had just outlined an entire book when I was supposed to be praying. <laughs> and so I, I told God about it. And I said, God, what, what's going on here? Like, why this? Like, what is it? Is it you know, do I have a weird book idolatry? Like, what? And it, it became so clear to me, writing books is something I feel competent at and something I feel like I can control. And in the presence of God, those things feel taken away from me. And so what my heart does is it turns to something that I can grab onto that feels like an anchor in as I stand before the whirlwind. And the, the sad reality is what I don't naturally turn to in my flesh is Jesus. Kyle, one of the questions I get all the time when I work with students, Biola students, high school students, is just when I pray, I feel like I'm talking to myself. Mm. So you're making the point that God's presence is overrated on one hand, but what would you say to the young person in particular, really anybody who's like, I feel like I'm just talking to my own head. Well, yeah, and this is what, you know, this is where we need to interpret God's presence, right? So the call to draw near, this is, this is the call we find in the book of Hebrews, for instance, right? Where the call of Leviticus is don't draw near lest you die, right? So now we're, we're ingraining the fear of the Lord. By the time you get to Hebrews, the call is draw near because you have a great high priest. And so we, when we draw near to God, the problem isn't the drawing near. The problem isn't the presence. The problem is we have come to equate God's presence with excitement, God's presence with a certain feeling or emotion. You know, one of, the, one of, the, one of my favorite passages is 1 John 3.19, which talks about when we are before him. So we, we're, we're in the presence of God. We're presenting ourselves to him. And your heart condemns you. So John thinks for the Christian that there'll be times we draw near to God and our heart's response is to condemn us. Now, here's the problem. In that moment, what I would do, because I've had that experience, and what I would do is I'd project that on God. God's condemning me. Or for these students, it feels like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. It feels like I'm just talking to myself. And they're, they're somehow equating their experience with reality. But no... God's presence is only known by faith. We trust God's presence there, not because we feel like it's there, but because Jesus proclaimed it's true, (laughs) that we have access to the Father, that that Jesus, and not only Jesus, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, that, that prayer is already taking place for us by God. And so if I feel like I'm talking to myself, I would say, you now know what you need to be praying about. God, it feels like I'm just talking to myself here. And this is where, you know, we talk about praying the Psalms in the book. You know, one of the things you learn when you pray the Psalms is you learn what God can hear. 
And it turns out our God can hear all sorts of crazy things. <laughs> it turns out God can hear prayers like, God, have you fallen asleep on the job? Just look <laughs> at your world. What are you doing? And God can hear things like dash their children against the rocks. God can hear laments and groans and complaints and and you know whenever I whenever I introduce a Christian to start to start to pray the Psalms, everyone has the same experience. Is we're praying, maybe Psalm one and two are fine, but we hit Psalm thirteen or something, and we begin immediately to think God doesn't want to hear this, <laughs> and it's like God doesn't want to hear His word, <laughs> and we're amazed because we we actually don't think God wants wants us to tell Him the truth. And so the the, the student you're talking to who who says it feels like I'm talking to myself. My guess is they've never thought of telling God, God, it, it feels like I'm talking to self. Are you with me in this? Where are you? Why do you feel so distant? And it's, it isn't, it, that isn't a bad prayer. That's a profoundly good prayer. And it, it, it isn't a way to leverage God. I mean, that prayer could become bad in the sense that it could be a way to try to manipulate God. But that's a prayer that presents oneself to God and trust that God in his freedom will do what he will. It's not my job to make prayer feel better. It's my job to offer myself to God in truth. Okay, so Kyle, let me just come back. I can imagine students saying, oh, that's really helpful. I'll communicate that to God. And then by saying, where are you? You're not present. The expectation will still be, now God is going to be mm, present because totally. I turn the key the right way. Almost mm -hmm. this magical sense that we can manipulate totally. things but you're bringing a different theology, trying to transform that entire approach we take to prayer. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, let me give you a, a, an example, a profoundly difficult example, but an example of this. So Paul is caught up into the third heaven and has a profound vision, right? This is something unusual, obviously, but Paul was given a great gift, right? What's interesting is not, at least to me in this moment, is not that gift that he's been given of the vision, but the next gift he's been given. We're then told that God gives him a gift of a messenger of Satan. And I'd, I'd say for most of my Christian life, I didn't believe in a God that gives gifts like that. <laughs> Paul calls it a thorn of his flesh. This is in um, 2 Corinthians 11 into 2 Corinthians 12. He asked the Lord three times to take it away. And every time he hears the same answer, no. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And so I would say, you know, if you are going to pray and it's exciting and you, you're excited, you're zealous and you're full of joy, praise God. If you go to pray and you're bored out of your mind, praise God. Because that says nothing about his presence to you. And the question isn't, how do I get excited again? Which is now using God to get something else. Now we're kind of into a more pagan practice and then a Christian one. The question is, Lord, how do I be faithful here? Because we don't know why you're having this experience. For Paul, it was to keep him humble, we're told. Why was Jesus, after his baptism, sent by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil in the wilderness? Why did Jesus end up in Gethsemane? Why did Jesus pray, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, you know, we pray with and within the one who was led by the Spirit into all those places. And yet I find that intuitively we're surprised when he leads us there as well. And instead of entering into those places and say, Lord, how can I be faithful here? Lord, not my will, but yours be done, wherever you lead me. 
What we tend to do is we tend to turn to ourselves and we tend to judge ourselves because we, I think to your point, the magical comment is exactly right. Like we tend to think that if I just do what God wants me to do, then I'll get life on my terms or I'll get a Christian experience like I want it. We actually begin to sound exactly like the older brother in the parable of the father with two sons. You know, what we normally call the prodigal son, right? When the the older brother, when he's met by the father, and the father journeys out to call him back, he tells his father, look how many years I've served you. You know, his, his, where is mine? God, look at what I've done. Look at, I'm praying. Where is mine? And the father says that my child, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. And I think in prayer, we need to remember, Lord, Lord, he is always with me. That's not the question. And my, my, my experience of that says nothing about its truthfulness. We know by faith that God is with us because we trust in Jesus. And it's not ours to generate or to create something that, that confirms that in us. If the Lord does, and he might provide something like that, then praise God. But if he doesn't, that's a little more difficult. But there too, we need to learn to praise God precisely for the reason Paul gets told by Jesus, because his grace is sufficient for us and his power is made perfect in our weakness. Kyle, you maintain, I mean, there, there's a number of really provocative things that you say throughout the book. We've talked about some of them already, You, but you maintain that prayer sometimes ends up being a place to avoid God. Mm. Uh, that's yeah. just That just seems... <laughs> contradictory to me. What what do you mean by that? Yeah, well, here's the difficulty with any Christian practice, really. You know, most most of us, as we grow in the faith, like there's a time in my faith where my main temptation was kind of obvious sin. You know, I was a young believer and I was struggling with vices. And, you know, the longer I've been a Christian, it's not that, you know, I don't, I'm not tempted by like, you know, going to Vegas for the weekend and blowing all money. That's just not a temptation I have now. Um, not that it has never actually been, but certainly not one I have now. And there's plenty of things I used to be tempted by, obvious things that I was no longer tempted by. But there's things that I do because I'm a Christian. I go to church. I pray enough. Right? Most Christians won't just stop praying altogether. Most Christians won't. Some will for certain other reasons, but some aren't going to just chuck the church out the door. They're, you know, but. The problem is we begin to do these things, to use Jesus's language, where we move our lips, but our hearts are far from him. So we do them precisely because if we didn't do them, we'd feel really bad and guilty. But we do them in such a way where we can keep God at arm's length. Like we don't want to see the truth. We don't want to experience the truth. We don't want to wrestle through how little we want to pray. And, and so we pray in such, and maybe that's, we pray really quickly. So we don't pray long enough to kind of have some of these negative experiences of prayer. Maybe we give ourselves to only one mode of prayer, like intercession. Um, prayer is a discipline. I find it's hard to feel good about it in the flesh. Like I can feel good about Bible reading in the flesh where I, you know, because I've accomplished something, right? If I've read a chapter a day where like, oh, look at, I've done stuff, right? I, you, I can kind of check boxes off and that makes me feel better. I never leave an hour of prayer feeling in the flesh like I'm killing it as a Christian. <laughs> like, prayer is just a humbling sort of enterprise. But we might discover we give ourselves to modes of prayer that are a little more checking the box. So I intercede for a couple of people. Oh, look, I prayed and I can move on 
without actually being present in prayer, without drawing near. And that's where prayer can actually become a place where I avoid God, where I do it so I can feel like I'm, I'm doing okay as a Christian, but I'm not actually using it as a means to embrace God's presence. That's, that's helpful, Kyle. One of the other things that's really arresting to me about the book, where you say prayer is a journey into our pain and sin. Mm. Uh, I think if that's, if that's true, then prayer needs a new public relations firm. Because <laughs> uh, well, I mean, yeah. seriously, why, why would somebody sign up for that journey? Yeah. Because uh, you, know, you say it's talking to God about the messy stuff in our soul. That's a little, that's a little more tolerable. Mm. Um, but, I, but that's not the stuff... I think most people want to face, you know, much less talk to God about, especially if you're going to, have to do it every day. Yeah. Well, and, you know, that certainly doesn't mean that every prayer looks like that. Um, but, you know, to, to give yourself to a life of prayer, God always leads us into reality. God is very uninterested in our fantasy lives. <laughs> He's very uninterested in our Christian avatars. And again, the woman at the well is a great example of this. Or the parable Jesus tells about the two men that go up to pray, you know, the one that prays in his goodness and the other that prays in his failures, you know, and only one leaves justified, the one that throws himself on the mercy of God. And I think what we, the problem that we need to discover is, is you know, I think we have these expectations that no one probably taught us, but we just absorb them somewhere. But one expectation is the longer I'm a Christian, what the Christian life will be, all these slowly kind of demolishing my sin and kind of slowly getting better. And along the way, I'll be getting more excited and I'll be, you know, you know, just kind of my life will come together and all these things will just, it's all better. It's better, 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 better. And actually that totally runs against the trajectory of the gospels. Like if, if you read the disciples account of the gospels, they, it, it goes the other direction for them. But there's all sorts of examples where we see that that's just not the kind of reality of, of having God in your midst. The Old Testament shows us this with Israel. Um, the fact that our prayer book, the Psalter, the Psalms, have always been seen as the kind of prayer book of the church um, and the songbook of the church. The fact that the number one largest groupings in terms of genre are lament psalms like, seems to tell us something about what God's training us for the Christian life to be like. That that God is going to awaken the deep things. He's going to expose them and he's going to meet us in them. And, you know, one of the images that came to me as we were writing this book, I, I was really sitting with Romans 8. And there's an image in Romans 8 where we're told the spirit descends with, in, in our souls right now. And the spirit is groaning with groanings too deep for words. So the spirit's praying for you, but evidently human words don't work like the level of your brokenness and rebellion and cynicism, like we don't even have words for that. And so the spirit's just kind of groaning. And the image that came to me as I was thinking about this was that whenever we pray, God is hearing our words against the backdrop of the spirit's groaning. And it just made me wonder, you know, whenever the spirit groans, it's clear the spirit's groaning in reality. The spirit's groaning, we're told, like creation groans, because creation knows what it was created for. And the spirit knows what your spirit was created for. And so the Holy Spirit's groaning there. And so if, if the way we pray to God 
never actually touches those deep things. Then in kind of, so to speak, to use a metaphor, analogy, in one ear, God kind of hears the groaning of the spirit, groaning about your brokenness and rebellion and sin and your pain. And then if he hears us, hey, God, things are going great. Hope you're doing well. I got to go. And, and, and it's this kind of superficial um, projecting at God. Then, then just think about the dissonance of what God has descended into in our soul versus what we are actually giving ourselves to. And so I think what, what the Lord does with us, what he did with his disciples clearly in the gospels, this, there's just so many examples of this, is that he leads us on the way to the cross. And all along the way, we fight him. We debate with one another about which one of us is the greatest. We, we, call, we want to call down fire from heaven instead of go to the cross. We want, there's all sorts of things we want instead of that way. And God constantly exposes us to how our desires run contrary to his. And at times, we, ha- we have to hear him saying what he said to Peter. Um, Get behind me, Satan. You're setting your mind on the things of man. And, you know, one of the ima- one of the verses that I think is really important here is, is Luke 7, 47, where Jesus says, the one who is forgiven much can love much. And that means, you know, if our call is to love, which it undoubtedly is, to love God and love neighbor, then our ability to love is directly related to knowing. And I would even say to experiencing how much we need forgiven. He wasn't saying the Pharisees didn't have a lot to be forgiven them, right? That'd be a really superficial way to read that. He's saying the Pharisees, they can't love much because they have no idea what God's forgiven them. This means the Christian journey is going to be a developing reality, a realization of deeper and deeper ways that I desperately need forgiveness. And so that's precisely where the Lord's leading us. The question, I suppose, yeah, is that the... Are we open to that? And maybe some of us aren't. And that would be a good place to start praying. (laughs) I'm not interested in this. I actually prayed that prayer once. I prayed right after Talbot. When I first finished my my first degree, my philosophy degree, I was confronted with a lot of this stuff. And some of it had to do with life circumstances. And I didn't know what I was giving myself to. I didn't know where to go in life. And I remember sitting down and I prayed, Lord, as I was reading the gospel of Mark, and I saw Jesus do this to his disciples. I said, Lord, this is not what I signed up for. I didn't sign up for this. I, didn't, I don't want to see this stuff. I have no interest in this. And that's a great prayer. I think that God often leads us to that prayer. Lord, I didn't, this is not what I wanted. This is not, I, I kind of wanted you to kind of make things better. And you're leading me here? Like, um, I don't want that any more than the disciples wanted the cross. And so the Lord leads us um, where he does, which is always the cross. And so we need to just be really honest with our openness or lack thereof to that. Encouragement towards honesty is just huge, and it just kind of bleeds through this book, so to speak. And uh, it is awesome to see how how far you've come. You and I went to the MA Phil program together about Mm. two decades ago, and neither of us had a clue what we were going to (laughs) do with our lives, just trying to figure out. And uh, I mean, this book is rich and it's thoughtful. Um, let me ask this, we could do a whole program on this, but maybe one 
practical idea for people that would make prayer feel doable, just one mm. kind of step. And of course, we want to pick up your book because you give specific prayers that people can walk through, like you make mm. this tangible. Yeah. But give us one one idea to kind of put this into practice. Yeah, well, one of the one of the things I would turn to, and this is, you know, you're right, we do flesh this out practically in the book. But one of the concepts that I found really helpful that I actually picked up, I learned from the Puritans, is the Puritans, one of their favorite biblical terms was watchfulness. And in Colossians 4.2, we're told we're supposed to be watchful in prayer. And then you pay attention to the psalmist. And sometimes the psalmists start talking to themselves in prayer, it seems, you know, oh, my soul that is within me. And at one point they were talking to God and now they're talking to their souls. <laughs> and, and I think one of the things to do in prayer that actually makes prayer, to be honest, just more interesting is whenever you're praying, just be watchful of what your heart's doing. Just be watchful. It is your mind wander. Okay. Be watchful of that and tell God about that. Are you, do you find that, and I'll talk to students that, that are like, why when I pray, you know, I'm, I'm lusting when I pray, like what is going on in that? Like, yeah, sure. You're in the presence of God and your desires are coming out. Tell God about that. The danger is turning to yourself and thinking what God wants you to do is clean yourself up. And that is such a temptation because it's the deepest belief of the flesh that Jesus has not done enough to bring you in the presence of God. That is the great lie. The truth is that, 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 that you have access to the Father in Christ Jesus by the Spirit of God. That's just Ephesians 2.18. And that you can boldly ascend to the throne of grace, the author of Hebrews tells us, because you have a great high priest. That the reason you're able to be in God's presence is not because of your goodness, but because of what Christ has achieved. And so just be open and be watchful of that. And, and one of the places I lead people into, I think a great starting point would be start praying the Psalms. Pray through the Psalms, make their words your words. And as you, you're going to feel tensions there. Sometimes their words won't make sense of your life and you'll have to be open to that. Sometimes you'll read things in your initial reaction. You'll, you'll be praying, Lord, dash their children against the rocks and you just can't pray it. Well, right. then just stop and consider why you said something very similar to that the last time you drove on the freeway. You might not have said exactly <laughs> those words, but something like that is in your heart. And just open that to the Lord. And then, you know, one of the Psalms we talk about is Psalm 139, because in Psalm 139, you get language like that. But I love the way it ends. You know, search me, O Lord. You know, test me. Reveal to me my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. So if, you, if you're experiencing it, bring them to the Lord, but then tell the Lord, Lord, test me. Help me see. And be open to how much of prayer has actually become a place to perform. And it isn't a performative thing. Um, and, you know, for the average Christian, I think they feel like they're bad at prayer, which is why they don't pray, because they're still thinking their goodness in prayer is what leads them to God rather than Jesus. But, you know, with some people like my seminary students. So when I talk to my, my incoming seminary, you know what a lot of our seminary students do when they pray? It's pretty funny because they, you know, they come to seminary, they really want to get the doctrine of the atonement right, which, of course, I'm a theologian, so I'm all for it. We should get our doctrine of the atonement right. You know where it totally collapses and becomes meaningless? In prayer. Because you know what they're doing in prayer? They're trying to atone for their sins. 
A, a lot of my students beat themselves up in prayer. And the deep hope is if I turn on myself and I'm really harsh on myself, maybe God will put the thunderbolt down. That maybe if I if I show God that I, I I'm so sorry, I'll, I'll do better. I'll, I'll get I'll, I promise, Lord. And and what they're they're kind of play acting for God. And and notice how this is now Adam in the garden, wheeling and dealing, using our words in prayer to try to manipulate God to our side, rather than saying, Father, look, help me here. And it's it's that watchfulness that helps us see how has these fantasies kind of penetrated our prayer life rather than leading us to Jesus. Kyle, this is great stuff, buddy. I love the theology that's rich in this book, um, but also like praying through the Psalms. That's something very practical, mm. kind of baby steps, so, yeah. so to speak. So I love that you're writing on this topic. I love that you're a colleague here at, at Talbot. And I uh, want to commend to our listeners your book, Where Prayer Becomes Real. Again, the title is Where Prayer Becomes Real. It's just outstanding. So, Kyle Strobel, thanks so much for coming on and talking about your new book. Of course, guys. So good being with you. This has been an episode of the podcast, Think Biblically, conversations on faith and culture. The Think Biblical Podcast is brought to you by Talbot School of Theology at Biola University, offering programs in Southern California and online, including the Institute for Spiritual Formation, where Kyle Strobel teaches. Visit biola.edu slash Talbot to learn more. If you enjoyed today's conversation, give us a rating on your podcast app and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. And remember, think biblically about everything.